Hello there, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to join in today's conversation, you can also reach out uh, through the app chat on the KPL app if that is how you are listening. Glad to be here with y'all today, although I will, I will tell you, about an hour, hour and a half ago, I realized Despite the preparation and kind of the scripting out, I, I don't, I don't script. There, there are radio hosts that that script out their monologues and everything that they're going to say. I don't do that, which is why you hear me stuttering uh and um so much. But I, I sometimes will have bullet points, talking points, stuff like that. Um, that go beyond the show notes that are up live at at kpl965.com right now. Uh, but I kind of I think about some things. If you were listening to Moon Show earlier in the in the third hour. Uh, he he referenced I'd be on here, but he said that I had that I wasn't here yet. Uh, I was on my way up here, uh, and they kind of joked about whether or not I was listening. I was listening, but the volume was turned down because I was trying to think about how I was going to talk about the student loan stuff today. And then a little while ago, I realized I don't want to do it. I don't want to talk about the student loan stuff. I really don't want to talk about the affidavit stuff, but that is the breaking news of the day. We are going to get into that. But I want to start in Louisiana. First, uh, instead of in instead of focusing on the national stuff right now, I want to talk about the state stuff first. And to do that, I want to go to La Politics Weekly from Jeremy Alford. I think Moon referenced this. Uh, I think this is how he opened his show this morning. Actually, talking about uh, the Republicans in Baton Rouge trying to come up with different or better procedures in their inter-party elections. Uh, this is from, from Jeremy Alford, who I'm, I'm going to try to have on the show sometime next week. Uh, after two terms of contentious leadership elections that divided members, House Republicans are meeting privately to develop a nomination process for future speaker candidates. Members of the GOP delegation hope to amend their own bylaws by spring of 2023, leaving plenty of time for speaker candidates to adjust to the new framework prior to the January 2024 organizational session. By uniting behind a single candidate in a private delegation vote, representatives may be able to rid themselves of some, but not all, of those clunky horse trading from recent terms, some of which created artificial divides in the lower chamber. It would be the first time lawmakers have used delegation bylaws to shape internal elections, such as a nomination process, depending on what's ultimately adopted, and could help insulate representatives from pressures of external forces, including, but not limited to, future governors. One meeting has been held, attended by roughly 40 to 45 representatives, including a dozen or so by Zoom, Delegation Vice Chair Mark Wright has led efforts so far and said a study committee has emerged from this process. Another meeting is being planned for the fall. Wright told Alford that we've been a broken delegation for a while. This is a way we can heal wounds and look ahead. If we can't get a two-thirds vote for a concept or for a just process, we may have more work to do than we thought. I'm not sure you can get the two-thirds vote, honestly. Uh, the uh, Louisiana Republicans in the House are deeply, deeply divided, but it become it, it, it comes from a absolute betrayal of the the fine folks that Moon affectionately refers to as the fraud squad. 
uh, all of these politicians, all of these folks who go to Baton Rouge, run uh, elections with an R behind their name, and then don't actually support Republican initiatives. Those are the people that have caused this division in the first place. A lot of times in party politics, it is the farthest to one side that get the blame for a lot of things. And sometimes it is justified. But there are times when the moderates within that wing of a particular, the moderate wing of a particular party, they actually are doing more to hurt their own side and cause more damage, which pushes the fur- those further to whatever ideological side to react more strongly to them. If Louisiana Republicans had started out as conservative in their policies, in their pushes, and united conservatives, the last seven years would have looked a whole lot different. But Clay Sheck Snyder, those other Republicans that Moon refers to as the fraud squad, they come together, they got Democrats to help them get their, the speaker they wanted and, rec- and rewarded Democrats with prime spots on key committees. A lot of those spots ended up helping kill a lot of conservative ideas in the legislature. They have nearly a supermajority, a veto-proof majority, and they can't get anything done because they have ceded their power to Democrats. What the Republicans are trying to do now is there are leaders there who want to bring the party back together. Now, it will involve concessions from both sides. But if the Republicans can come together, if the Republicans can say, we're going to stand together on issues and we're going to use our own members and our own vote to come up with a nominee for speaker and we unite behind that speaker, the next eight years will look pretty good. Not the best, but pretty good. What we don't know right now, however, is what leaders are going to step up. There are some that you and I both would love to see step up, but we don't know who's going to qualify, who's going to run to be the speaker, who's going to run to be the Republican leader in Baton Rouge. If you'll recall, Sherman Mack had the majority of support from the delegation in the form of 39 votes just prior to losing the speaker's bid to Clay Schecksnyder. That alone, as Alford notes in La Politics Weekly, that alone created one of the more pronounced divides in the current House GOP, which can easily be split into thirds now because of it. Because of that movement, you now have the faction that stands behind the speaker, the fraud squad, the policy-driven conservatives, and the moderate-slash-independent folks the ones that like to do their own thing. That's who we have. That's the three factions we have 
in the house right now. They need to be able to unify. There needs to be somebody who can talk to all of them and they all come together and they all support that one person and they can actually push back against Democrats and actually have victories against the Democrats in the legislature. If Republicans end up winning the governor's mansion, so much the better. But because Republicans are fantastic at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, if we end up with another Democratic governor, Republicans in the House need to be united and not give in to that next governor so easily. This is something to pay attention to, and I, and, and I know Alford is going to keep following this, and we will have him on and, and talk about this in a little bit more detail later on. But this is a pretty important moment. Hopefully, it's a moment that will bring about good things. But I'm not optimistic because this is Louisiana Republicans we're talking about. And they're not exactly known for making party-wide great decisions. On that note, let's go ahead and take a break. Your calls, if you want to get them in, 232-1542. And you can reach out on the app chat through the KPL app if that's how you're listening. Let's go ahead and take this news, this uh, this commercial break, and we'll be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation now, the question that's live over on the KPL page right now, a recall petition has been uh, filed against New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell. Most of us can only say it's about time, but do you think she needs to go? A lot of folks have, uh, have been commenting. It's your opportunity to go and comment uh, on that news story as well. Uh, one person does point out, no one will tell you this. Make sure the person collecting signatures is a licensed notary. That way it will be legal and legit. That's very true. Actually, there's seeing a lot of problems with similar instances in California. You know, California has had two recall petitions. Uh, one was successful against one, I think, the San Francisco prosecutor. Uh, yeah, uh, Budam. Uh, Budam, Budin. Whatever pronounces pronounce the name wrong, but but uh, the other one uh, is is Gascon or what I say Gaston, the villain from Beauty and the Beast, obviously. Uh, but uh, Gascon has uh, that that petition failed. Uh, a ju- uh, the the uh, registrar of voters, I think, in Los Angeles threw that out through several thousand signatures out if you go to redstate.com and look uh look up the writings of jennifer van lar she's the managing editor there uh she has followed this and is detailing uh she has one piece out and has more pieces that will come out uh just detailing the the problems and there were internal problems from the recall campaign there but it's very important in any in any recall petition that you certify the names, the ad, everything that you need for that recall petition because the registrar of voters has to go in and verify all of that or else the recall petition won't go to ballot. In New Orleans, they need about 53,000 legitimate signatures 
of from legitimate voters in New Orleans. I know some of you are laughing when I say legitimate voters in a Democrat-controlled city, but please bear with me. Louisiana Secretary of State, uh, the rules are you need 20% of the registered voters in a city that's bigger than 100,000 to sign the petition in order to get it to ballot. In New Orleans, that means you need 53,000 signatures. Now, interestingly, there, this is something that may or may not, be get, may not get talked about. This news only just broke earlier today. Uh, but this recall petition features the sister of a now infamous uh, Louisiana politician. Let's see where. Uh, yes. So there are two people that filed this petition. Belden Baptiste, a community activist, Mardi Gras Indian and longtime candidate for office. And Eileen Carter, former city hall staffer in New Orleans and the sister to former Louisiana Sen- Senator Karen Carter Peterson. Interesting note there. I don't think there's anything, there's any conspiracy there yet. Just noting that it's very interesting. Eileen Carter, the sister of Karen Carter Peterson, is one of the two that filed the recall petition against Latoya Cantrell. Now, again, they have 180 days, six months, 180 days to collect 53,000 signatures. What's interesting here is just how high profile Latoya Cantrell has gotten. Uh, Tucker Carlson had a very lengthy monologue against Cantrell and her appearance in court in defense of a carjacker. Now, she came out and said later she was not defending the carjacker. But, I mean, if you listen, you listen to what she said, uh, it's pretty clear that she she was uh, she she was on the carjacker side, um, the the victim of the carjacker in New Orleans. Said I was I was in shock. She wasn't there for us. She was there for the assailant and his mother, and it felt like she was supporting the crime. Carlson went on to say, "If it felt like it felt like she was supporting the crime," said the victim. Well, yes, it did, because that's exactly what the mayor was doing. Cantrell was taking the side of the carjacker over the traumatized, law-abiding woman. Now in New Orleans, Cantrell is known by her nickname, Titi, but many people call her exactly what she is, Latoya the Destroyer. I love that he said that on the air on Fox. She is, in fact, a destroyer. The mayor is incompetent. The mayor is an open race hater. She's an encourager of violence, and she is destroying an already wounded city. This is Carlson going on. We reached out to Mayor Cantrell's office to ask why she was doing all of this. Why did she pressure a judge to release a convicted armed carjacker with no prison time? But of course, she didn't reply. It turns out the mayor of New Orleans had a connection to the carjacker. Cantrell had enrolled this person in one of her administration's welfare programs called Pathways Youth Internship Program. Using taxpayer money, the program says it provides young people who commit crimes with a reward, paid internships, and a stipend. Again, that's all from that's all from Tucker Carlson's monologue on Latoya Cantrell. A lot of people are outraged 
over that court appearance. But they're also outraged over a, what, $40,000 trip that she and members of her office took to France to sign a sister city agreement or whatever. But they stayed at a luxury hotel that was right across the street from the Eiffel Tower. Uh, she came out and said that she wasn't the one in charge of making the the travel itinerary, the reservations, and everything like that. But it really doesn't look good. The city is in the midst of a crime wave. The city has some economic issues, and she's more concerned with going to Paris. She's more concerned with defending a carjacker. She's more concerned with defying state law on abortion in order to make a political point. And the people of New Orleans seem to have had enough. We'll see where this recall election goes. I'm fascinated by that. All right. When we come back, I promise I'll get to the Mar-a-Lago affidavit. There's a lot of information that's come out. I've processed as much as I could before my brain finally shut down. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. All right, folks, let's do this. Let's get to the biggest story of the day, which is the affidavit. Uh, If I sound discouraged, it's mostly because it's just... it, It... There is so much information that's come out, despite it being a redacted affidavit that doesn't really provide a whole lot that's new. There's still a lot of information, a lot of different angles. And when when breaking news like this comes out, okay, so let me give you a little bit of behind the scenes of of kind of of reporting on this kind of thing. Uh, You know, I write for redstate.com. One of the things that happens in this scenario is that you have to look for the angles. Uh, You're looking for the straight five W's, the who, what, where, when, and of course how. Uh, You get that written and you get that posted immediately. And then you look for, okay, let's, let's start parsing through the details. Let's look for the different things that we know people are interested in that people want to know first. You start getting that out there. Well, as the day goes on, more and more stuff gets published. And I've looked at some of it. I've looked at uh, I've looked at several stories that have come out from conservative and liberal sources, trying to find out the most important information that you need to know. Here are the basics of the affidavit info. It's heavily redacted. We don't get a whole lot that's new other than a little bit more detail on the communication between Trump's legal team and the Department of Justice legal team on the documents in question. Now, earlier this year, Trump turned over 15 boxes of documents to the National Archives. In this affidavit, It says that classified documents, some pertaining to national defense, were found in 14 of the 15 boxes. So the remaining information that stayed at Mar-a-Lago could have more. One of the things that conservatives are picking up on right now, uh, Sean Davis, who I know uh, Bongino has referenced a few times, including a little while ago on his show, Sean Davis points out, and my co-worker at Red State, uh, Bonchi, also mentions uh, that one of, those, one of the sources of information here was a CBS News story. And conservatives are saying they're basing an affidavit on the CBS News story. Well, that's, that's not quite what it is because we don't know what else is presented in that redacted material. What we do know 
right now is that the National Archives was very concerned and said there is likely, very likely, based on the stuff we know is missing, more uh, classified material at Mar-a-Lago. Based on conversations with the Department of Justice and the FBI, Department of Justice was concerned that Mar-a-Lago was not secured up. The storage, uh, the storage room where a lot of this stuff was kept was not secure. The other places where it could be also not secure. So the FBI wanted to go in and seize everything else they could because they did not want this to fall into the wrong hands. But and his, here's where the new reporting is coming in. This is from uh, National Review. FBI believed Mar-a-Lago's search would yield evidence of obstruction, according to the affidavit. Now, this gets a little bit more serious. If that's what they were looking for, it was evidence of obstruction to go along with everything else. After the FBI reviewed the initial 15 boxes, they determined that there is probable cause to believe that additional documents that contain classified national defense information or that there are presidential records subject to record retention requirements currently reside on the premises, the affidavit said. Some of the sensitive docu documents had to do with human control system, which is a system designed to protect intelligence information derived from clandestine human sources. However, going on in this, it looks like the FBI, like I said, like the story says, they believe there was probable cause of evidence of obstruction in the building. We don't get any specifics on what obstruction there was. There's no indication in the affidavit that this is, has anything to do with January 6th. Instead, if they're looking for evidence of obstruction tied with what's in the affidavit, then they're looking for evidence of obstruction in Trump trying to keep some of these classified documents from getting back to the National Archives. That's the interpretation right now. That could change as more and more legal minds break this down a bit further. The mostly blacked out document does build out a timeline, though. It shows what, what, what is publicly available, shows what led to the raid, the National Archives uh, asking Trump for the, the boxes of documents back, Trump turning it over, the FBI and the National Archives going through everything, identifying classified documents in 14 of the 15 boxes, And what led the FBI to ultimately decide that they needed to search Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the affidavit does not reveal any new information pertaining to the 11 boxes of documents seized in the August 8th search, which is uh, somewhat to be expected. They have a broad idea of, well, they had a broad idea of what was in them, but there's nothing specific because the affidavit was written before the raid. Uh, this is, I think, noteworthy for a couple reasons. First, it, the FBI and the Department of Justice are getting serious in investigating Trump. We've been over that. We've hashed that out. I've talked about it at length. I don't feel like going over all this again. 
if you want to call and talk about it, that's fine. But I'm not getting into the, the FBI is out to get Trump stuff right now. Instead, I want you to pay attention to the media coverage. Donald Trump is back in the headlines. You know what's missing from a lot of the headlines right now? Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. I know I said I didn't want to talk about it, but just yeah, it's unavoidable. Joe Biden announced this student loan plan. And it is gone from the headlines. There are some headlines about it, but not very many right now. Every media outlet is now talking about the affidavit. Every media outlet is talking about what is potentially in, uh, in, in the, the classified documents that are at Mar or were at Mar-a-Lago. Every one of the media is talking about this. The media talks about what it thinks is the most important thing. And the media really does not want to trash Joe Biden. They had their day where they all came out and they all had some pretty harsh critiques of it. But they've since moved on because now they're talking about the Mar-a-Lago raid and the affidavit search again. They really want there to be a there there. So they're focused on that. The student loan thing, when you look at the reactions from Democrats, from the media, from, uh, from advisors to Democrats, all of it's bad. There are very few outside of the far left who are really excited about this plan. Very few. I think it's all but six, according to maybe Axios, all but six Swing state or swing district Democrats have put out a statement saying they're not really happy with the plan. And the media moved on. The media moved on to Mar-a-Lago again. Let's go ahead and take our final break of the day. When we come back, I want to talk about the stock market. What is happening? What did Jerome Powell say today? why that's such a big deal. We'll have all that and more here to wrap up the show. 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, we'll be right back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So let's end the day with the uh, the last bit of of kind of breaking news of the day. Obviously, the market's closed just uh and it's not looking good. Here's the basis for all that. Uh, I'm jealous of Jerome Powell because he's in Jackson Hole right now. And Jackson Hole is a wonderful, beautiful little town, although expensive as hell to live there. Uh, you can get, I think, 1,200 square feet for maybe a couple million. Uh, it, it's, it's incredibly expensive. But it is beautiful. I love visiting there. And uh, I want to go back very soon because it's still too damn hot. But, but... Uh, so there's a Fed meeting in Jackson Hole, uh, and obviously the, specula the speculation going in is how aggressive are they going to be with interest rate hikes? Because the Fed is very much determined to combat inflation, but raising the interest rate 
very fast is going to uh, cause a lot of people to panic. It is going to uh, it is going to cause you know it's it's going to make a lot of things you know more difficult for especially business owners, investors, folks like that. So everybody's going in the stock market kind of nervous. Powell comes out today and says we have to be aggressive here. And that's not the news that the stock market wanted. The stock market wanted wanted him to say, you know, we're going to ease into this. But we just had a revision of the inflation numbers yesterday. And uh, the good news is uh, inflation was actually, I think, I think it was uh, down 0.9 instead of 0.6 from. 2021 in July. So it's a little bit better, but it's still not great. Inflation is still over 8% where it was a year ago. Far outpacing wage hikes, far outpacing people who've gotten new jobs and have new income coming in. Inflation still kicking America's collective butt. Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve have a responsibility to raise interest rates to combat inflation. Because inflation is so high, they have to be aggressive. Because they're going to be aggressive, the stock market is selling off. And that's just what they're going to do. They ended sharply lower after, uh, after Jerome Powell pretty much ended all of Wall Street's hopes that they may ease up on the rate hikes. Uh, the S&P uh, 500 lost 3.4% today, its biggest drop in two months. Uh, the other indexes, indices, did not do much better. Uh, so it's a, it's a complex economic situation. Now, a couple things to note on this. One, the stock market is not the only indicator of economic strength. And you shouldn't base your entire life, and your entire financial life in particular, on the stock market. That is ridiculous. However, the trends of the stock market do tend to follow the trends of where the economy is. If the stock market is going down, then you can expect a recession to come. If they're going to go down this sharply. And as I've said before, whenever the Federal Reserve is forced to face, or forced to, to increase uh, interest rates, we're faced with a recession. Raising the interest rates will create a recession. That is just how economics works. But the recession is necessary to combat inflation. Here's the political problem. If we are not in a recession, as Joe Biden claims, these extreme rate hikes will cause us to be in a recession before too much longer. And when the recession hits, it will hit after the midterm election. Based on, on all this right now. And it will be around at least a year, probably longer. And that recession will be on every voter's 
mind come the 2024 elections. So Joe Biden is looking at re-election with a recession, with a Republican majority in the House and possibly the Senate, with some pretty strong Republicans coming up in their own primary. And the best thing Joe Biden has going for him right now is a 44% approval rating, his highest in a year since the Afghanistan withdrawal. But what's worse for Joe Biden is that there are Democratic advisors out there right now saying, I don't understand the student loan forgiveness thing. You had such a great week, and now you're going to alienate blue-collar workers because that's exactly what this does. And so now you're chasing voters away ahead of this midterm once again. So any benefit you get from Roe versus Wade, any benefit that you get from the Inflation Reduction Act is being... Uh, is is being counteracted by the student loan forgiveness plan because it affects blue-collar workers negatively. This morning on Moon's show, Brandon mentioned his wife, not a political person, but upset about the... Uh, upset about the student loan forgiveness. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of people who are not political people, but who understand that all the hard work that they put in, all the effort, all the time, all the hours, all the time, all the money they have put into paying down their student loan. And the Biden administration goes and not only forgives $10,000 of student debt for everybody else, but will give no reimbursement to those who did what they were supposed to do. And will do nothing to prevent the universities from just raising tuition because now it's so much easier. And now students are more incentivized to go out and get more student loans because the government will pay for it again. And now the taxpayer burden is thousands of dollars more. Guys, I hope you all have a great weekend. It is college football season. Watch your college football tomorrow. Enjoy the unofficial beginning of fall. We'll be back here on Monday here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter J, uh, at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And, of course, you can listen to the podcast version of the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all have a great weekend. Talk to you in a few days here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL.